And I, I feel like a chef right now because uh, I have a word from God that I'm praying that God will help me deliver it to you in a way that will change your life. I sometimes compare my position as a pastor teacher to a chef. You know, if a chef has really bad ingredients, you know, I say the piece of meat's not too good, or if you're a vegetarian or vegan, whatever ingredients the chef is using, if the chef has just bad ingredients to work with, a great chef can probably, you know, do something with it and make it palatable, maybe even good. Um, a bad chef could take a great piece of meat or great ingredients and just ruin it, you know? Well, what I'm hoping happens today, not that I'm a great chef, I feel like I have great ingredients that I think God wants to bring your way. I'm going to pray that. And I pray that on your end, that you really tune in, that you press in, as Pastor Dan sometimes say, that you'll lean in to hear what God has to say to you today. God, give us hearing ears that we might hear not just the voice of, a, of an aging, redheaded preacher, but God, we might actually hear you speaking through this, this vessel right here. You can speak to us today that your word might have its full impact and that lives might be changed. Our life might be changed. In Christ's name, amen and amen. Well, since the last two times I spoke to you, I spoke to you on the subject, The Hated, which, by the way, I love those messages. I'm proud of them. No apology. But, you know, that is kind of a little bit of a negatively worded title. I did it on purpose to, you know, to make a few points. So I thought today I would speak on the subject, The Loved. And oddly, I'm going to look a little bit at the book of Habakkuk to talk about the fact that we, as God's people, are tremendously loved. Habakkuk tends to be a very overlooked book. It, it, it's almost overlooked because people during good times, times of peace, times of prosperity, almost feel, feel like you don't really need it because Habakkuk is, is, is living in, uh, prophesying in, very, very difficult times. In fact, since I brought that up, one interesting little tidbit of information about Habakkuk is that while most prophets basically have the prophets speaking for the Lord to the people, or sometimes the prophets are interceding to God on behalf of the people, uh, Habakkuk is almost like we get to have insight into his little dialogue with with the Lord. Habakkuk's not so much full of a, of a prophetic words, thus saith the Lord to his people. Uh, no, no, no. It's more of us getting to listen in on a few issues that Habakkuk's going through. And when we get to this final passage that I want to read to you, I'm just going to read a few samples from this book. The whole book's only three chapters, by the way. Uh, uh, I think you'll recognize it. And if you don't, I hope that you'll maybe take a, some time either in your own life to learn the very last three or four verses of the book of Habakkuk. Um, so let me start by reading just a couple verses from Habakkuk chapter one. Just to give a little bit of context, Habakkuk is prophesying around the same time as the prophet Jeremiah. The northern kingdom of Israel, the 10 tribes of Israel, have already fallen in 722 BC to the Assyrians. And the Assyrian, what today we'd call Persia, Iran, Iraq, uh, they're still the powerful nation. They're, they're still oppressing nations, but there's a new kid on the block. Sometimes the Bible would say the Chaldeans or more modern, the Babylonians are starting to, to, to rise up right now and King Nebuchadnezzar. And indeed, 
after Habakkuk's book comes along and during Jeremiah's lifetime, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon not only defeat the Assyrians and the Persians and take over worldwide power, they become the number one nation on the planet. Uh, they also invade the leftover southern kingdom where Jerusalem is. We call it the nation of Judah. The 10 tribes of the north, Israel, fell in 722 BC. The southern kingdom will be taken over by Nebuchadnezzar in 586-87. So things went wrong that God would allow that. And so Habakkuk is, is seeing things going wrong. Like honestly, I sometimes can look around my own beloved nation, the United States of America, and just kind of wonder, what in the world's going on? <laughs> there, there was a famous movie came out a few years ago. At least it was a critically acclaimed movie called No Country for Old Men. And sometimes I'll look at Marguerite and I'll go, wow. Sometimes I feel like, <laughs> feel like that movie. Am I that old? There's no country for old men. Habakkuk kind of feels like that. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, it says, The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. And here's what he says to God. O Lord, how long? Shall I cry and you not hear? Hey, hey that's real. Even cry out to you, violence. <laughs> Look what's going on, God, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity? It's a lot of moral degradation and sin and cause me to see trouble. For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife <laughs> and contention arising. Therefore, the law is powerless. That would preach in this day and age. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and perverse judgments proceed. And he goes on to talk and God, he's, in other words, he's, he's arguing with God. And we'll talk about that in a second. Chapter 2. This passage is a little bit more well known. Uh, I'll read again just the first four verses of this chapter. Habakkuk says, I will stand my watch because in chapter one, he says, God, why is this going on? And God sort of gives him an answer. <laughs> How many guys know sometimes God will give us an answer, but it's not really answering our question in, in specific. It's more giving it anyway, an overall thing. So now Habakkuk is going, all right, all right, all right. You're going to answer me, huh? So I'll tell you what, I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart in a tower and watch to see what he, referring to God, will say to me, and what I will answer when I'm corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, and here's the part some of you will recognize, write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, in other words, it may take a while for what I'm telling you to come about, wait for it. So those take, wait for it. There's a good word sometimes, just wait for it. Because it will surely come and it won't tarry. Uh, I, I know if, on one point he says, uh, one thing he says, if it tarries, just wait for it. But when it happens, don't worry, you don't have to tarry. And then, of course, verse 4 says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him. And here's why I read verse 4. Quoted three times in the New Testament, twice by Paul and once in Hebrews. If you think Paul wrote Hebrews, all by Hebrews. No, by the way, no one knows who wrote Hebrews. That's why Hebrews doesn't say who wrote it. Some tradition says Paul, others say whoever. But it's quoted three times in the New Testament. But the just shall live by faith. And then let's read the last three verses of the whole book. 
If you like to do some easy Bible study, read a whole book of the Bible in just a few minutes, pick out Habakkuk. It ends like this. After all of the prophets' confusions and questionings and debates with God, he says, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills. The name Habakkuk, by the way, after which this book is named, the prophet, actually means to wrestle and and to embrace. We don't know a lot about the Bible about him. In fact, we know nothing other than this book, and Paul quotes the book three times in the New Testament. But even though we don't know much about him, I kind of feel like Habakkuk may represent a lot of us here today. When he looks around with what's going on, he just wonders, God, where are you? Uh, Do any know what I'm talking about if you kind of say at times, you know, there are those of us right now, and we love God, but we still have some doubts. And, and we trust to some element, but it's hard sometimes. So we, we believe his word, but the situation uh, seem, seems contrary to, to what we're believing. We know our God is there, but the circumstances have just clouded our vision almost to the point where we can't see him. Habakkuk was experiencing this and wrestling with the Lord on some of these issues. But in the end, as his name means, he not only wrestled, he embraced his faith and he embraced his God. You know, I just want to say to you that I think a faith... Let me backtrack and say it like this. I don't know if a faith is worth having if it's not a faith that's worth fighting for. Uh, Like Habakkuk, I don't always understand what God is doing and why God is allowing certain things. I struggle. I I, I wrestle. I have questions. In fact, I think you have to have a pretty weak faith if you don't ever have any questions or if you don't, don't ever question God. My God can handle both my questions and my questioning. Let me say that again. I love a God. I serve a God who can handle both my questions, my concerns, and he can deal with the fact that I'm, uh, that I'm even questioning him uh, on that. Unlike many in the culture, in many in our culture today, any issue, even if it's quote unquote settled science that I cannot ask a question about without being accused of being a denier, I'm like, wait, I'm even like that with my faith. What kind of faith would I have if if you come to me as a skeptic and start to question me and I just cut it off and say, no, 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 this is settled faith. God said it. I believe it. (laughs) I got that bumper sticker mixed up, actually. Remember that little bumper sticker? God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know, I understand the heart of that bumper sticker, but I never really liked it. Because I believe even if you have a firm faith in God, it's okay to question. It's okay to be questions. God is not intimidated 
by my or your or anybody else's questions. And because God allows that and enters into dialogue with Habakkuk, Habakkuk opens up with gloom, but it ends up closing in glory. It opens up with a question mark, but it ends with an exclamation point. It opens up with complaints, but ends with a celebration. It opens up with doubts, but by the time he's done, his doubts have been replaced with a shout. <laughs> that sounds like a preacher, huh? Replace your doubts with shouts. Uh, let me just give you a little context. I've already been doing some of that. But, but in chapter 1, uh, Habakkuk is in turmoil. Uh, what he sees, he just doesn't understand. He sees a nation that is deteriorating. Uh, the northern kingdom has already fallen, and he's going, come on, guys, we need to get our act together. And, and he sees internal threats and external threats, and so he's basically asking God, he goes, hey, God, what's going on? Why aren't you doing anything about this? I like, again, the fact that Habakkuk can even ask a question like that without being called on the carpet for being a man that doesn't have any faith. In fact, one of my favorite verses by his contemporary Jeremiah, this is a verse you don't hear quoted very often, but I just love this verse. Jeremiah, at one point, is a little upset with God, too, and wondering where God is. So I'll quote Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 18. Can you imagine having the guts to say this to God? Jeremiah says to the Lord, he says, You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. <laughs> Jeremiah, he's going, you know, sometimes, God, i got to be honest with you, sometimes you feel like the kind of guy I have all this promise, but it ends up just being a mirage. I was hoping to get a drink, but the creek has just dried up. God can handle that. And that's why Jeremiah would keep coming back after stuff like that and saying, and yet, God, I got to tell you, even though things aren't looking right, I still love you. I still trust you. Uh, there is always the enigma of divine providence. Now, interestingly, in chapter 1, God answers Habakkuk because Habakkuk says, why aren't you doing something about it? God says, I am doing something about it. He says, these people are going to have to pay the piper. They're going to have to face the music. I've been warning them and warning them and warning them, and judgment is about to come. Sidebar here. You know that God in the Bible never allows judgment to come without a little bit of a tear in his eye, and only after repeated, repeated, repeated warnings, repeated, repeated, repeated pleas, uh, P-L-E-A-S, please, beggings, for the people to turn away from this kind of sin. Just like most of us parents who, who love our kids, we don't look forward to discipline. Now, I don't know, maybe nowadays you can't say that. You know, if you get a little paddle, that's not right, or put a time out in the room. Most parents, unless you're just whacked, most healthy parents, they don't enjoy stuff like that. And normally they give their kids several warnings, repeated warnings before they finally have to say, man, I'm sorry, but you ain't listening to your room. That's how God is with us. God's answer to Habakkuk, though, is bothers Habakkuk because he says, God, Habakkuk goes, whoa, 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 wait a minute. So you are going to do something about it. You're going to begin to bring your people into account for what they've been doing but you're going to use the Babylonians to do it? He's like, God, aren't the Babylonians worse than the people of God right here in Judah? Why are you using, and, 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 why are you using even worse people to come in and to deal with bad people? 
You know, I may be bad, but I'm not as bad as that guy. And God, why are you using that guy to come in and to deal with, with my life? I mean, maybe I haven't done everything right, God, but why did they fire me? That's not right. That's not the right way to deal. Other people are doing worse than me. Why did I get fired? What? Why did they break up with me? Uh, I, I don't understand that. So there's all these issues we, we go to. So in chapter one, Habakkuk is really, he's, he's in this turmoil. But then after God answers him, he doesn't give him a complete answer. He says, look, I am going to do something about it. Babylon is on its way. So in chapter two, Habakkuk goes, all right. So he goes up onto the tower. Old Testament used to call those phrases watchtower. Why would you go up onto a watchtower? Well, like the name sounds, you go on a watchtower to look out uh, to see what's coming. The watchtower, of course, was used by guards to see if any enemies were coming. It would be used for uh, to get people ready as a protection. Uh, what's going on? So Habakkuk goes up there and he goes, all right, Everything I, I want to say to you, God, I've already said. So now I'm going to go up here, and I'm just going to sit back and watch what you are going to do. And it's interesting that God begins, as we saw, to come down in chapter 2 and says, here's the vision, write it down, make it, pl make it plain, run with it. God comes down once Habakkuk goes up on that tower. Now, maybe I'm... Maybe I'm doing the classic preacher mistake of read more into the text than should be there. But there is a principle here. When we start to go up and do everything we can do, God will come down and do the part that we can't do. Oh, let me say that again. If we will do everything we can do, you know, pray, serve, actively love people, help our faith. If we'll just do what we can do, we will find that God will come down and do the stuff that we can't do. Remember that old song? I, I think it was a choir song, that when the praises go up, <laughs> the blessings come down. Let, let me say that again. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. When my kids were little, man, I miss these days. This is this is decades ago now. When I would come home, let's say I'm a young pastor, pastor in a growing, thriving church. Some days, <laughs> I hate to say sometimes it's like a job, but sometimes it is like a job. And sometimes people can just beat the snot out of you. Someday I'm like, you know, God, I'm glad you love these people because I don't. No, no, I'm just joking. But you know what I'm talking about. So you just kind of feel like, ah. You pull your hair out. It's like with your family. Like you love your kids. You love your family. But some are just kind of like, ah, I can't take it anymore. Well, when my kids were little, I'd be coming home from a long day of ministry. I remember I'd pull into my garage, walk into the house, in the door that goes from the garage into the house. And a lot of times, Marguerite, she'd have been home with the kids. And the kids would all be little sitting down. And the moment I would walk in, they would go, yay, daddy's home. I still remember that. It's been decades since that's happened. Can you imagine Pastor Dan being a little boy? Yay! If I embarrass him right now, yay! Daddy's home. You know what I would do? Because the, their praises went up, they were, yay, daddy's home. They'd run up to me and hug me, and you know, they could only hug my knees. I would reach down, pick them up, and give them the biggest hug. That is a great image right there of what we do when we stop our whining, stop our complaining, and just say, God, I'm going to spend some time up here just seeking you, praising you, because when the praises, when the prayers go up, the 
blessings come down. And I, I, I know some of you want to say this. Well, Pastor, in my experience, I think answered prayer is just coincidence. The Christians are looking for it. It's just coincidence. Well, all I know, and this is true, in my life, when I stop praying most, I guess I can't technically say all, but when I stop praying, most of the coincidences stop happening. I noticed that years ago. Critics say what you want. Answered prayer is just whatever. Hey, when I'm not praying, when the praises and prayers aren't going up, somehow the coincidences, if you will, or in my opinion, the blessings ain't coming down. God's answer to Habakkuk is that, man, Habakkuk, I am doing something about it. Write the vision down because you need to get ready. See, God plays the long game. We always want microwave Christianity. We want instant Christianity. We want fast food Christianity. But God is a Michelin chef. <laughs> God's, God is not on our timetable. In fact, I wrote this comment down here, which I really like. Habakkuk has a lesson in the sense that, well, I'll just read what I wrote. Again, I may not always know what I'm doing. And I may not know what God is doing, but I can still believe that he knows, God knows what he's doing. Let me say that to you again, because this can help me sometimes when I don't, not really reading things right in life. Sometimes I don't always know what, what I'm doing. God help me here. And I may not know what God's doing. God, what are you up to? I don't understand this. Why is this happening? But I still believe he knows what He's doing. From the tower, man, you're going to get a whole different perspective. He says, man, get up there and, and just do it. So back it goes from turmoil to the tower. And then when we get to the passage that I read last, the very end of the book, he goes from the tower to the triumph of trust, though the fig tree do not blossom. Figs are not on the vine. The olive crops are failing. There's no animals in the stalls yet. Think about that. Although, yet. Although, yet. That's a key to hanging in there when life gets tough. Although I'm seeing all this going on in my family right now, although I look at our culture and I sometimes wonder, why is culture getting like this? Yet I'm still going to trust in him. Job at one point, one of my favorite verses in Job is when Job told his friends who kept saying, Job, you must have done something wrong. Tell us what, what you did wrong. He goes, I didn't do anything wrong. And uh, at one point in Job chapter 13, verse 15, he makes this statement of ultimate trust in God. He says, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Whoa. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking right now. No, no, no. The enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy. God always comes to bless. Yeah, I know. I get it. But there's a heart attitude when you are so committed to God. You're not committed to God because of his blessings. You are committed to him just because he's God. You're not committed to God because of the miracles and the breakthroughs that, that he's brought into your life and she'll bring into your life. You're committed to God simply because he's God. So Job finally says to his friends, he says, man, I don't care if this thing kills me. I don't care if God himself kills me. I am still going to trust him. Now, we know maybe theologically <laughs> people are going to have problems with that. 
But I love that. How about Paul? See, see, there's a though and the yet. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. How about Paul in Corinthians when Paul says, you know, we're hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. You know, we are perplexed, yet not in despair. We're persecuted, yet not forsaken. We're struck down, yet not destroyed. One translation for that final phrase said, we're knocked down, but not knocked out. Ooh, man, just keep on going no matter what. Man, I am so old, I remember the original first movie, Rocky. I think it came out in the 1970s by a then kid who fought to get this movie made and because he wanted to star in it. I think he'd written it, starred in it. This kid was named Sylvester Stallone. And uh, spoiler alert, although come on, man, the movie's decades old. In all the Rockies, you're going to think, oh yeah, Rocky won. They're feel good. They were big audience-pleasing movies. The first Rocky did awesome at the box office, but it was not necessarily a crowd pleaser because actually Rocky lost the last fight. But it was still a winner because Rocky didn't give up. No one thought he had a chance against Apollo Creed, who was kind of like a type of the then champion Muhammad Ali. Uh, but the reason I bring all this up is because towards the end of the movie when Rocky is actually in their fight in Apollo Creed, and he's trained for it, he's doing his best, but Apollo Creed is beating the snot out of Rocky. He keeps, as Paul says, he keeps getting knocked down, knocked down, beat up, and Apollo Creed keeps thinking that he's won, you see him? And finally towards the end, you see Sylvester Stallone as Rocky get up one more time, and he looks at Apollo Creed, and the actor that played Apollo Creed, Carl Weathers, gives the greatest look ever. He just looks at him like, you gotta be kidding me. This guy's not gonna quit no matter what. And Rocky never did quit. He ended the fight on his feet. It was a moral victory, if not an actual victory. Hey fans, don't worry. They did Rocky two, three, four, five. He, he won later. But in that first one, it was more realistic. The win wasn't that he won the fight. The win was that he didn't quit. When I saw that, I said, I want to be like that to life. I want to be like that to the devil. I don't care if life has beat the snot out of me and I'm not going to make it. Maybe like Job, maybe this thing will kill me. But I'll tell you what, I ain't going to quit. I used to think like this. When I stand before God on the, on the day of judgment, and again, this is not good theology. I'm trying to communicate just uh, just a more subtle truth here. I said, one thing God won't be able to say to me is that I quit. If he wants to say, sorry, you, you didn't make it because of blah, 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 whatever. But he's never going to say to me, I, I, I quit. Because no matter what, although this is going on in Jim's life, yet will I serve him. Although the world is upset, yet will I serve him. You know, though they cancel you, yet they can't stop you from being blessed. Though they hate on you, they cannot turn off God's love in your life. Though they try to bring you down, yet God is still going to bring you up. And you may not win every battle, but I've read the end of the book and we win the war. So listen, man, I, I, I may not be able to rejoice in, every situ in my situation, but I can rejoice in the Lord. Just three quick thoughts I want to give you from that last passage in the last two or three minutes we have here for you to kind of like a little bit of an outline. 
when he says, though the fig tree may not blossom and uh, nor fruit on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail and fields yield no food, though the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. By the way, this isn't just cute poetry. Back in those days, that meant famine. That meant death. That meant no money, no job, no future, no nothing, as they say. Yet, there's that yet again, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Why? I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. I can hang in there because number one, God is sovereign. He is always in charge. Habakkuk had to realize, I may not always, I may not always understand what's going on, but I trust him. Do you ever have someone so close to you that, ha that handles things for you and you just trust them implicitly. You know, I don't know, I, I don't get all this money stuff, but I trust that guy as, as my investment person. Uh, Marguerite, my wife, there are times I'm not really under, I don't know, well, why does she wanna do this? I'm not sure, I would, I'd wanna do that, but I trust her implicitly. Why? Because I know her character, I know who she is. If that's true of Marguerite, if, if that's true of people that may handle my, my finances, how much more is that true of God? Our God is sovereign. In the, I was thinking about this the other day, that our church in the early days said some of our songs, our God reigns, simple songs. Our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns. He rules, he's sovereign, nothing will ever knock him off his throne. I remember one time they were having a march on Washington uh, for, for Christians. It was, it was a Christian event. And there in DC, all these speakers were up there just ripping our nation. And this was back in the, you know, decades ago. All the sin, blah, 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 this and that. America's in trouble. America needs to turn to God. America. And it was all true. But, the, but this one pastor got up there and that told, this guy totally cracked me up. He got up there and gave the shortest speech of anyone. He just got up there and said this, God ain't in no trouble. <laughs> I loved it. The shortest speech and maybe the best speech. Now, not that we didn't need to be motivated to try to change things. Not that we didn't need to see our eyes opened up as to what's going on in the world. I did that the last couple of messages on the hated. But when all is said and done, though all that's true, yet I still believe God because he is sovereign and he ain't in no trouble. One of my heroes passed away recently, the great Jack Hayford, the pastor of Church on the Way and was an international leader. Uh, just days ago, Pastor Hayford passed away and I will never forget the first time in the 1970s as God began to speak to me about launching a church that began to be called Faith. And I'd go out to Van Nuys and go to Church on the Way. My first time there, I walk into that sanctuary and I'd been at charismatic, Pentecostal, fantastic revival meetings, but Church on the Way blew me away. Because Jack Hayford got up there, there was no hype, it was the opposite of hype. I mean, I love Pastor Jack, he's in heaven now, but you know, he just talked. He wasn't, there was no spit, scream, and shout, there was no hype, there was no running around and dancing, but he just walked up on the stage, lifted his hands, and began to sing Majesty, a song he had written. Talk about sovereignty, majesty, worship his majesty, unto Jesus be all glory, honor, and praise, or power, whatever it is. I write down the words, I won't forget it. 
Yeah, there it is. Be all glory, honor, and praise, majesty. Remember, guys? <laughs> Three of you do. Kingdom authority. Flow from his throne unto his own, who his anthems raise. So exalt, lift up on high the name of Jesus. Magnify, come glorify Christ Jesus, the King. Majesty, worship his majesty. Jesus who died, now glorified, King of all kings. Well, I may not have a great voice. I used to lead worship a little bit, not because my voice was any good. I just knew how to lead people into the presence of God. And people would make fun of me with that song all the time. They'd say, Jim, when you sing, you sound like this. Majesty. I mean, that's like a sheep. They go, yeah. I go, well, sorry, I don't mean to. But what a beautiful song. God is sovereign, and God ain't in no trouble. Habakkuk closes this book by saying, number two, that salvation never ceases, ever. His salvation is there all the time. It's like my deposits are secured by the FDIC. What is that? The Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation? I don't know what it is, whatever it is in our country. But my money in the bank is only as good as that bank and the government that guarantees that my deposit up to what? $250,000, whatever, is, is guaranteed. Let me tell you something. My salvation is guaranteed by the Lord. And he's not... Uh, vulnerable to the ups and downs of the world. His mercies are new every morning. Finally, Habakkuk says, not only is God sovereign, he's king, and no one can knock him off his throne. He is not in trouble. And his salvation is available all the time, that his strength never collapses. And you ought to read that part of Habakkuk again. His strength never collapses. My favorite verse in the Bible is Isaiah 40, 31, where Isaiah writes, he writes about uh, old men are going to fail and even the young men are going to stumble. He's kind of talking about like Olympic type events. But then he says this, Isaiah 40, 31, but they who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Love that. You know, this last chapter of Habakkuk was a song. If you read through your Bible, you'll see the word selah mentioned several times in that chapter, selah. They don't even translate that word. They just transliterate it from Hebrew, selah, because they don't know for sure what it means. It's probably a, a, or it's probably a, a musical thing to help them sing it. Some people think it's musical, but it also means just to pause, think, mar uh, marinate, meditate, let it sink in for a while. God is sovereign, let that sink in. His salvation is sure, let that sink in. Just marinate on that for a while. And his strength never collapses. And if we wait upon him, our strength will be renewed. Today must be the musical for Jim Reeve because I'm thinking right now, since I mentioned a couple of the songs that Jack Hayford writ, wrote, I can think of my grandparents growing up in church and singing hymns, a hymn that reminds me of this passage, which is simply go, what a fellowship, what a joy divine, 
leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarm. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Let's do that today. Let's, let's just trust God. Let's believe that no matter what our although is, although <laughs> you, know, you got left, although you lost your job, although yet I'll still believe in the Lord.